Father, we thank you for this beginning of the Christian year and this Sunday of hope. Um, May we uh, give you worship, Lord, and thanks for all you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat, everybody. Good morning, everyone. And I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. Um, Obviously, we love Christmas songs. And so we're going to be celebrating singing. Um, one of my favorite uh, memories as a kid at Christmas time is anytime we got in the car to go anywhere, my dad would strike up a Christmas carol in the car. And we'd sing Christmas carols all the way to the video store or karate lessons or the pizza place or wherever it was we were going. Of course, in our family, we only knew by heart the first verses. So it took a lot of different Christmas songs to get us all the way to the to the video store. But when you came to church, then you could hear what the second and third verses were. And I love that part too. I worry that people don't sing much together anymore. I know in my family we only sing Christmas carols if we like really make a concerted effort like this year we're singing Christmas carols. Um, We just don't do it naturally. So I was hoping we might be able to get some excitement going for the songs of Christmas this year. specifically by focusing on those songs that have a a deep spiritual significance. And so this morning, we're going to start with the Christmas carol, Good King Wenceslas. Now, how many of you before the intro uh, would have said, I I don't know, or how many of you do know the the carol, Good King Wenceslas, even before we played it at the start of this service? Yes, see, not a lot. A lot of you are saying, I don't know Good King Wenceslas. Did you know that he was a real person? He's a real person who was a duke of Bohemia, which now we call the Czech Republic. So we're going to be talking a lot about that today. But I want to start with those of you who are saying you don't know King Wenceslas. I beg to differ. That song has been haunting the edges of our childhood, all of us, no matter how old you are. So we've prepared a little something here to see if you don't remember that you have been with King Wenceslas since you were a kid, no matter when you were a kid. Let's watch together and see if you don't know it better than you think. Sorry I'm late. I was busy doing some rewrites. Rewrites? I've highlighted your part. Now sing along. Santa Claus and all his elves are making gifts for Buford. I don't think that's how it goes. Nobody's asking you, nerd. Buford, you're completely disrespecting this classic song. You're ignoring the historical context. King Wenceslas was a great man. You have no idea what this song is about. The line of lemon taste of scratch joins your celebrations. The taste of lime and mix is right on holiday occasions. Sprite makes brighter holidays. Diamond is the reason. Sprite goes well so many ways to bring your cheer this What do you want? Uh, Penny for the song, Governor? I open the chest. It's locked, but suddenly the door behind you slams shut and now the walls of the room start closing in. That's not good. My character and I both have claustrophobia. (laughs) Glowing letters appear on the chest that read, If squashed to death you wish not to be, sing of Svati Vaklav and his victory. Who is Svati Vaklav? Walls are getting closer. Oh, boy. Happy place. Happy place. Wait, wait. Svati Vaklav was the Duke of Bohemia. You're ten seconds away from getting crushed. Nine, 
Eight. What are we supposed to do? Seven, six. Wait, wait, wait. Svati Vaklov is better known as Good King Wenceslas from the beloved Victorian Christmas Carol. Never heard of it. Must be the one Christmas song not written by a Jewish guy. I know all about this song. The words were by an English guy, the music Scandinavian. Wenceslas was five foot six, he kept his face unshaven. Though just a duke throughout his life, he always ruled so justly. His kingly title was conferred upon him posthumously. Well, I stand corrected. You seem to have a lot of information. Somebody sing the song! Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen <laughs> When the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even The walls are getting slower Brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was cruel When a poor man came inside, gathering winter fuel The walls stop, you're safe! <laughs> that was amazing, Sheldon! How did you know that? It was simple. I combined a well-known historical fact about Bohemia with the memory of my grandparents, Mima and Pop-Pop singing Christmas carols, while I sat in front of the fire and tried to build a high-energy particle accelerator out of Legos. Good tidings we bring. No second verses. They creep me out. Okay, we'll sing a different one. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen. Oh, that one creeps me out from the beginning. When the snow lay round about, Deep and crisp and even. Brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was cruel. When a poor man came in sight, gathering winter fuel. Hither, page, and stand by me, if thou knowest, telling. The peasant, who is he? Where and what his dwelling? Sire, he lives a good league hence, underneath the mountain. Right against the forest fence, by St. Agnes' fountain. In his master's step he trod, where the snow lay dented. He was in the very sod. Which the saint had printed Therefore, Christian men, be sure Wealth or rank possessing You now will bless the poor Shall yourselves find blessing Ba-da-bum <laughs> Done? I think the word you're looking for is bravo Well, did you know it better than you thought? You've been around it You've been around it. So Wenceslas, as they said, was the Duke of Bohemia. In the er, he was born in 907 A.D. outside Prague, which is is now uh, the capital of the Czech Republic. His name in his native language was Vaslav, Vaslav. And if you said that in Latin, you'd say Wenceslau. You starting to hear where it's going? Wenceslau in Latin, and then you bring that into English, Wenceslas. Wenceslas. He was a third generation Christian, so in his country, one of the very first. He, his great-grandfather was converted by St. Methodius himself. St. Methodius is the father of Slavic Christianity, and he is the inventor of the Cyrillic alphabet. That's the alphabet that the Russians use, where all the letters look like the buttons on the calculator you never press because you don't know what they're going to do. And so he invented that language, the written form, so that they could have the scriptures. That saint is the one who converted Wenceslas' great-grandfather. 
Now, Wenceslaus himself had a really tragic life. His father died when he was 13 years old. And so his, his grandmother became the duchess regent until he was old enough to uh, take that uh, throne for himself. This made his mother very jealous. His mother was uh, not Christian like the rest of the family. She was pagan. She was devoted to Slavic paganism and the old gods, as they called them. And uh, so after the father died, she had Wenceslas's grandmother strangled to death, they say, at the altar while she prayed in church. Then she became the duchess, and she immediately started programs of Christian persecution in Bohemia. She had Wenceslas, her son, sent away to be re-educated, to have him unconverted from Christianity back to Slavic paganism. That's a pretty rough start for a young person. And this, his life reminds me of a biblical figure, uh, uh, someone else who became uh, a ruler at a young age and had a tragic life and the loss of a parent and had to grow up fast. I'm talking about Josiah, the boy king of Judah. Josiah became king of Judah at age eight after his father was assassinated. So he also had to rule through regents, older relatives, until he was old enough to take the throne. So Josiah comes finally to the throne at age 26. And one thing they had in Jerusalem was the temple of God, except it had kind of become a place where they just stored junk. And so he said, why don't we clean out the back rooms of this temple and get this place dusted off a little bit. So they're cleaning out the temple and they find a huge scroll back there and they blow the dust off of it and start looking at it and they realize, hey, I know what this is. This is the Bible. Can you imagine an entire culture losing the scriptures for so long that when they found them laying in a junk room, they didn't know what they were anymore? So Josiah has this scroll laid out and starts reading it, and he realizes it says there are things in here that we're supposed to be doing to worship our God, and we haven't been doing them since my grandfather's time. Are there any prophets who speak for this God and this kingdom? And they have this one woman, one prophetess of God left. And so they go to talk to her, And he says, how angry is God that we have lost these scriptures and been ignoring him for two generations? And she says, Josiah, God is very angry. In fact, he plans to destroy your kingdom, Judah. And Josiah comes undone. He's 26 years old. He's just come to the throne of a kingdom that's about to be destroyed. He weeps in shame. Tragic start for a young man. Now, you may relate to Wenceslas's tragic start. You may relate to Josiah's, or you may relate to my friend, Bob. Bob's a real person. Bob Bob was born in southern Missouri. He was born to small-town royalty. No real nobles, right? They don't do that in Stockton. But his dad was such a prominent businessman that sometimes Missouri senators would come and go hunting and spend the weekend just to get Bob's dad's opinion on matters and buy-in on different things. And uh, uh, tragically, Bob's dad died. When Bob was 13, just like Josiah, which kind of pushed him in as a young teenager to being head of the household, having to help run the family business. Um, he eventually came into his own in business. He ran the, um, the food service at SMS, which is now Missouri State University. And then he went into restaurant management and then became regional manager. And then he became the youngest president of Forum Cafeteria, that nationwide chain. He became president of that chain at 35 years old. What I want to say about all this is that truly the life of Christian saints rarely start easy. Hardship, a hard path, tragedy, this often occurs in the story of Christian saints. 
If you have had a hard start, if you have had a tragic past, it says nothing about the plans God may have for you. That places no limit on you at all. There is great hope. Now, these guys all had their great, all had their work cut out for them. Uh, Wenceslas, remember his dad uh, died at 13. His grandmother was strangled to death. His mother takes the throne, persecutes Christians, sends Wenceslas away to have the Christianity taught out of him. Even though he's a teenager at this time, he will not bend. He will not give up his faith. In fact, he doubles down. And in the 900s, he does something royalty did not have to do. He takes a vow of chastity. He says, I will remain sexually pure until I am married. Now, in a time when nobles believed and people were taught, your noble was put there by Christ. Therefore, pay tribute to your ruler, just as if you're paying it to Christ himself. Wenceslas just saw it differently. He thought, if Christ has made me a duke, then I ought to rule as Christ ruled. People ought not be giving to me. I ought to be giving to them because all Christ did as king was give. Now, where would he get an idea like that from reading those scriptures that Josiah found at the back of the tomb or back of the temple? Like Proverbs 29, 14, if a king judges the poor with equity, his throne will be established forever. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, speak out for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And of course, Wenceslas would look to Christ himself, who uh, in the upper room, the night before the cross, the night before his betrayal, um, washed the feet of his disciples. And in John 13, verse 12, After washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe and again sat down and asked, Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. And now that you know these things, God will bless you if you do them. Christ said, uh, Wenceslaus said, if Christ has made me a duke, I should be a duke like that. So he does come to power. Now in his late teens, first thing he has to do, he has to banish his own mother from the country because she's been undercutting him his whole life. And he has to end her persecutions of Christians. Then he has to win the people back. So he starts throwing feasts for the peasantry to let them know He's going to be a different type of duke than they've ever had before. He builds uh, chapels and churches to get people excited about Christianity and coming to Christ. He issues an open invitation to all of Europe and says, send missionaries to help me to tell the story of Christ to my people here in Bohemia. Not bad for a teenager. I love these stories when the old have lost their way and gotten distracted and then the young come into their own and they make the unexpected decision the right decision they do the good thing that's a good story that's what this throne is for reminds me of Josiah remember Josiah he became king of Judah at age eight when his father was assassinated now he's become uh, on the throne himself at 26 they're cleaning out the temple they find the scriptures he receives this prophecy that God's going to destroy the nation of Judah and he weeps And when he weeps, the prophet has said, God has given a new word. Because you have repented, God is going to wait and he will not destroy Judah in this generation. He'll wait until the next. 
Josiah is so grateful that he decides perhaps the whole nation could repent. Perhaps we could turn all the nation back to God. And then he gets to work. And you can read about the work he did in 2 Kings chapter 23. But here's what he was basically up against. First of all, they had fertility idols in the temple. Now, you've all seen fertility idols and snickered at them at the Nelson Atkins without knowing what they were. But they're, you know, they're the statues where they have the gigantic breasts or the gigantic genitals, and basically they're worshiping sex. They had those inside the temple of God. He has to have all those taken out and destroyed. He has to fire most of the priests of Israel because even though they were supposed to be Jewish, these guys were worshiping the sun or worshiping stars or the moon. There are rooms in the temple, the ones that weren't filled with junk, are permanently set up for temple prostitutes. It says they had rooms for male prostitutes and rooms for female prostitutes in the temple of God, which makes it even creepier because that meant it was ritual prostitution where you went in and paid your offering to the temple, and then when you slept with one of these people, it was symbolic of sleeping with a god. So that was what they had reduced worship to. And there were shrines like that at every city gate. They all had to be torn down. They also practiced infant sacrifice at this time. Ancient historians say they had statues to Molech, and they said the statue of Molech either had outstretched arms or an outstretched lower jaw. Then you would place your infant onto the statue, light a fire underneath it until the child was burned to ashes. And that's how you showed if you were really devoted to Molech. Can you imagine being a 26-year-old guy coming to the throne in a country where everybody older than you, all your elders, think this stuff is awesome? And you have to sit on this throne and change their hearts. It's a good story that someone would step up and do that. And then there's my friend Bob. So Wenceslas has to fight paganism, and, and Josiah has to fight paganism. So did Bob have to do battle with pagans? As far as I know, Bob only had one brush in his life with pagan sacrifice. And some of you will remember this if you're old-timely Semitites. So I remember when it came out in the newspaper, I was just terrified as a kid. Front page, about 87 to 89, somewhere in there. Front page article, we have a satanic cult operating in secret here in Lee Summit. There was a bridge out at the west end of town and there was satanic symbology and symbols painted all over this bridge and pigs' heads sacrificed on the bridge. It said, uh, sacrificed with surgical precision. So the Lee Summit Police Department had absolutely no idea what to do with this. This sort of thing was often on 60 Minutes, Geraldo Rivera show. You remember if you were there in the 80s, the satanic panic of those times. And, uh, and here it was in Lee Summit. And so the Lee Summit Police didn't know what to do with it. They asked Kansas City Police Force to join them in the investigation. Kansas City Police brought out a psychic, an occult expert who was serving the force. And I had a friend who was, who was on the force. And so he said she came out, she looked at the symbols, said these are symbols of great power and great evil, and I don't even want to be here. And she got in her car and drove away. Turns out, Bob was involved in that pagan sacrifice. You see, they had had, uh, uh, where he uh, worked, they had thrown a luau, and they had a big pig roast, and Bob brought in the pigs, and he was carving the pigs, and they were done, they threw the pig heads into the dumpster. And then an evil cult of raccoons came and grabbed the pig heads and dragged them out to the bridge, and they, raccoons like to graze in high places, so they pulled the heads up onto the bridge abutments and, uh, and had themselves a raccoon seance eating the luau leftovers. 
What about the satanic symbols? Well, I don't know if you were around in the late 80s, but we had bands like Ozzy Osbourne and Slayer and Motley Crue, and they used those kind of symbols on their album cover, so every 13-year-old knew what they were, and they had been out there long before the raccoon sacrifice and spray-painted that stuff on the bridge. So those were your symbols of evil and power. Now, Bob wanted to tell some people there was no satanic cult. It was my luau leftovers. But by then, it was already a front-page news story and involving the investigative teams from two different police forces. So he just decided to be quiet about it until it blew over and and told me like two years ago and now I'm blabbing it to the world. (laughs) So no, he did not fight paganism like Wenceslas or Josiah did, but he fought for things. He fought for things. He was president of the Chamber of Commerce. Chamber of Commerce had a secretary, city employee. She did a great job. She did what secretaries for the chamber do, probably filed minutes and sent out invitations and kept calendars. And so uh, a a, a motion came before the board. Let's raise this gal's salary. She does such a great job. But some stingy curmudgeons on the Chamber of Commerce who had nothing personal to lose decided, oh, she's paid enough. We don't need to pay her anymore for this. So Bob, the president, says, you know, my company would love to have a secretary of that quality. I bet we can make her an offer. Well, then everybody's like, oh, okay. So they, uh, they changed their vote. And they gave the gal a raise. And the city got to keep a, a great employee who kept doing a great job. So I love stories like that when people gain influence, great or small. And from the chair they sit in, they use it to help everyday people. That's what it's for. That's why Christ brings those opportunities into our life. So you have to ask yourself, what are you in charge of? What do you have influence over? Some of you own your own businesses. Some of you are the heads of different committees in your schools or the community. Uh, Some of you are just a prominent person in your circle of friends. Many of you have a family. Are you using that position the way Christ would do it? Are you a giving leader? Whenever you have any opportunity to do good, do you take it? That's the story of Wenceslas and Josiah and Bob. Now, all three of these guys face betrayal. September 28th, 929 A.D., Wenceslas is on his way to Mass, and on the steps of the church, he's ambushed by a gang who's paid by his brother, and they stab him to death on the steps of the church. Wenceslas knows who's hired them, And his dying words are, Brother, may God forgive you. They drag him out and bury him in an unmarked shallow grave in the forest. Wenceslaus was 22 years old. Then there's Josiah, king of Judah. He falls in battle against the Egyptians, and then his son comes to the throne. Well, his son betrays his father and all of his reforms. His son Jehoiakim, he brings back the fertility idols in the temple. He brings back the temple prostitutes at the city gates. He brings back the infant sacrifices. And before his reign is over, Babylon has surrounded the walls of Jerusalem. And that judgment that God promised he would put off for one generation is now coming. Even my friend Bob was betrayed. Got a new boss. Boss decided to let him go. Didn't need his position anymore. But then to add insult to injury, made it out like he was retiring willingly through retirement parties and everything. Bob was too classy to say that it was all a sham. Reminds me that 
Jesus told us many times this world will not appreciate righteousness. In that same upper room, the night before Jesus was betrayed, he said this to the disciples, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. This world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they'll persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. Sometimes you are the one living in a time when the people of God have lost their way, when the people of God are despised, or when God is just forgotten. But betrayal is never the last word in any story that God writes. For all of you who have been betrayed, betrayal is never the last word in a story that God writes. And if he's writing your story, betrayal is not going to be your last word. Bob didn't retire. He went on to other places, kept plying his trade, did greater things. And he financially supported Christian work generously all of his working life. He finally retired this year. We were taking bets on whether he ever would. But I'm most grateful for the wonderful example he is to my children who call him Papa Bob because he's not just my friend, he's my father-in-law. And he's a great example of a Christian businessman and a community figure and a family leader. And King Josiah, he's remembered as the last righteous king in the line of King David. Or should I say the second to the last righteous king? Because when you open the Christmas story to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the first thing you get is the family tree of Jesus. And if you go down there to verse 11, it says... Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. The scriptures remind us, God used that family tree that was so messed up, that family tree that Josiah was a bright spot in. Through them, he brings us our Savior. And Wenceslas, the Duke of Bohemia. So rumors start spreading that there are miracles happening on the steps of that church where he died. People walk over those steps and see a vision of God. People walk over those steps and are healed. And so the church immediately names him a martyr of the faith and a saint of the church. A fan club of Wenceslas springs up and starts spreading over Europe to make sure that everyone hears his story and the message of this Christian noble who says Christian nobles should be generous and they should rule as if Christ himself were ruling through them. His brother repents of his murder. Three years later, shows them where they buried him in the woods. They exhume his body and have him brought back and buried at St. Vitus Church, one of the churches that Wenceslaus built. His brother stops the persecution of Christianity and then Christianity begins to flourish in Bohemia. Four different biographies are immediately written of Wenceslas and traveled all over Europe. Within 200 years, Wenceslas is considered someone that every European ought to already know. Let me just read you a paragraph from a book written in the 1100s. It says, uh, His deeds, I think, you know better than I could tell you. For as is read in the Passion, no one doubts that rising every night from his noble bed with bare feet and only one chamberlain, 
He went around to God's churches and gave alms generously to widows, orphans, those imprisoned and afflicted by every difficulty, so much that he was considered not a prince, but the father of all the wretched. The Holy Roman Emperor Otto I made him king posthumously. So although he died a duke, he's been remembered by us as a king ever since. September 28th, the day of Wenceslas' murder, is now a national holiday still celebrated in the Czech Republic. And centuries after all of this, in 1853, a guy named John Mason Neal, you know his work, John Mason Neal wrote Good Christian Men Rejoice. He wrote O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And for St. Stephen's Day, he wants to write a song about Wenceslas. St. Stephen's Day is the day after Christmas. It's now called Boxing Day. And it was a day when people would box up um, gifts and they would give them to people who served you in the community. You might give them to your servants. You might give them to your butcher or your baker. And so, uh, but at the back of churches, they had boxes. Did you say candlestick maker? (laughs) Yep, there's one in every crowd. So... (laughs) Yes, yes. And so (laughs) at the backs of churches, they would give uh, a box that you could put for gifts for the truly poor and destitute. And then the day after Christmas, those would be uh, closed up and distributed, just like our Hope Center giving tree. Uh, That tree back there has ornaments on it. Each ornament on each one is written something that is needed by an inner city ministry that we partner with called the Hope Center. And you can go out of here and you can grab an ornament and buy what's on it put it under the tree, and then the day after Christmas, it'll be boxed up and delivered. And, and that is in perfect keeping with the message of Wenceslas. Take what you have been given and use it for the good of someone else. So we're still in the tradition of St. Stephen's Day. And have hope. Have hope this season. If God can take a small town kid who's Dad died unexpectedly, and bring him to prominence. And if God can bring the Messiah from a corrupt family tree to be the Savior of the world, and if God can help this 22-year-old noble become an example for the next 1,100 years of how Christian leaders ought to lead, then there's no end to the hope of what he can do with your life and with my life. God has promised to do great things with our story even if we had a rough start, even if we live in a time when the things of God are forgotten or the people of God are hated or the people of God have wandered from faith, that's when God rolls up his sleeves and does some of his most miraculous work with you and I. So the story uh, in the song Good King Wenceslas uh, goes along with that, what we read in that book from the 1100s that he would get restless at night because he's like 20 years old and he has a vow of chastity, right? So you gotta do something. So he, uh, he would get up in the night and he'd grab a page who was probably some kid younger than him and he'd, be, he'd, he'd go find people to help in the middle of the night. And so in the song, they're trudging through the snow and this is, you know, present day Czech Republic, so cold, and they see somebody gathering wood out in the night in the woods and Wenceslas says, that's it, okay, so get me some meat and some wine and some pine logs and let's go have dinner with this guy, he'll be so surprised. And so they start trudging through the snow. Well, the kid is freezing to death and he says like, I'm gonna die out here. And you can imagine this 20-year-old talking to this other kid and he's like, just step where I'm stepping. And, and it won't get in your legs. And the song says that as the page was stepping in the footprints, that heat 
was coming out of the ground everywhere where Wenceslas stepped, implying that God's doing a miracle. God's doing a miracle. And the message of the song is this, that if you will take whatever God has given you and you will use it to share Christ and be good to others, God will will make that happen. He will make that way. He will perform miracles to make sure you end up doing his will. Amen.